Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we are closing out our mini-series, Hope is Here. The title of today's message is Hope Wins. We hope you guys enjoyed today's word and we wish you a happy New Year's. Good morning. Gotta give somebody a high five. Tell them I am happy that you are here. Oh, come on. Act like you're happy. I'm happy that you are here. Happy you're 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 here. All right. I mean, I might as well lead by example, right? Ah, yeah, thank you, brother. Well, can you believe that it is the last Sunday of 2019? And you're here. Praise God. Glad you're here. Well, listen, I can think of no better way to end 2019 in service, talking about hope, hope. For the last couple of weeks, we've been on a series, a short mini-series uh, entitled Hope is Here. Hope is Here, and it's just a play on words, but it's, it holds such a great measure of truth because if we think about it, when everyone has hope. Everyone looks ahead with some sort of hope. But when we think about hope, what we're thinking about is something distant. What we're thinking about is a place to get to. What we're thinking about is uh, for some of us, maybe we're hoping and a wishing and a praying for something to happen. And the truth is that hope, everlasting hope, the hope that God gives you and I and the world is a hope that is present. It's a hope that's powerful. It's a hope that impacts your life right now. You know, the scriptures say that uh, God says that he is the God who reigns on the wicked and the just. And I share that with you because God, what that tells us about God is that God is interested in everyone. God loves everyone and God has a hope for all mankind. Not just for you, Christian, right? I know it's good to know that we have hope, but the whole world has hope. And so in, in the uh, first week of this series, we learned that hope changed everything. That while hope gives us foresight and inspiration for things to come, that true hope the hope that we have in Christ has the power to change our lives in the present. Last week and week two, we learned that hope makes all things possible. Now, I know that for some of us, we struggle with that word all because we've faced some impossibilities. We might be facing some impossibilities. We might be going through something that feels impossible. I pray that today you have your listening ears on and that you'll see that hope in God really does make all things possible. Because we serve a God who's not moved by your impossible. He makes it possible. Amen? And so today we're ending this short mini-series on the topic of hope wins. Somebody say with me, hope wins. wins. Tell somebody else, hope wins. wins. Tell somebody else, hope wins. wins. Now listen, I know that that, you know, we say hope wins, but what exactly does that mean? Listen, hope is a powerful tool in your life and mine. Have you ever considered that hope is so powerful that it gives you the ability, it empowers you to conquer the, what, what seems impossible by transporting you from a place where you are to living and thinking and dreaming and existing in a place that you're to be. Hope has that power. Hope has the power to take you in the midst of a hopeless and helpless situation and give you strength to win it gives you the ability to discover something greater, and it gives you the ability to press through while all still seems hopeless. It's powerful. 
And so today we'll be ending our series by looking once again to the experience of Joseph and Mary at the birth of Jesus. And what we want to look at is how did this impact their life? What hope did it give them? And what, can, what hope can we glean from their situation and ours? And so once again, we'll be looking to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We'll just be looking at this from another angle, starting at verse 18. It says that this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus." because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, prior to this moment, Joseph is full of what seems to be hope for the future. Listen, he's betrothed to his sugar boo-boo, right? <laughs> to his honeydew, his sweet thing, right? He is looking forward with great anticipation to his marriage, which will one day be uh, brought to, to fulfillment. And uh, according to the, the times, we know that Joseph was most likely paying what's known as a dowry. It was basically a gift that he went about to, uh, giving to uh, Mary's parents as a part of the deal of being able to marry her. Right? He's looking forward to consummating the marriage. Uh, the Bible tells us that he was a carpenter, so, he's, so this guy's probably making preparations for their lives. Right? He's looking at more than just suits to wear, so to speak. This guy's probably building a home while he's at it. But this all seemed to be hope, but it wasn't, because when everything came crashing in, his hope did not bring him through. Listen to what I'm saying. In the midst of all his hopes and dreams, Joseph comes to an impasse. He, came, he comes to a, a crossroads, so to speak, that offers no hope of return once he comes to a decision. Mary, the love of his life, has just told him that she's pregnant. The problem is, it's by way of the Holy Spirit. So, in his mind, there can only be one rational explanation. Mary has been with another man. And now, Joseph finds himself left with the pieces of a distant and a crumbling future. I want you to just take that moment to consider that that your wife shows up, the woman that you love shows up, and she says to you, and, and you're, you're, you're betrothed to one another, marriage is imminent, it's, it's, it's in the horizon, and she says to you, I'm pregnant, and you're not the father. God is the father. I can assure you that for us guys, we'd probably go, yeah, right. Right? You'd, we'd struggle with that. And so in his mind, Joseph is rationalizing how to get out of this. 
just looking at the scriptures we read, what we see is that Joseph is perplexed. He's, he's, he's dumbfounded by this, and he's looking for a way out. Verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1 says that Mary was found to be pregnant. That doesn't mean that somebody tripped over her and figured out she was pregnant. That doesn't mean that somehow they let a secret out. What the scriptures actually revealed there in the original languages is that she had a bump. It was evident to all that she was with child. And now, so to speak, the cat is out of the bag and the pressure was on for Joseph and Mary. Can you imagine all the questions Joseph had rolling through his head? What am I supposed to do with this? I still love her, but should I still marry her? What will people think? How will we deal with the backlash of the people at the temple? That's church, by the way, right? How are we going to deal with this in our community? Can this really be God? How do I make this all go away? All these questions rolling in his mind and going through his heart. Now look, it's easy for us on this end of the story to say, duh, Joseph, marry her. It's going to work out. But think about this. You see the end result in the scriptures. Joseph didn't. And Joseph needed something that would help him shift from what seemed impossible, what seemed unlikely, what seemed not to fit in the ways of God. He needed something that would alter his decision and give him hope. And at that moment, the scripture says that when Joseph faced this life-altering decision, one that would change his life and the course of history, that he was about to make the wrong decision. Joseph was contemplating getting rid of Mary. By the way, that doesn't mean he was going to off her. He was just thinking about, okay, let me send her off far away. Now, we know from the text that Joseph was a good man because he was devout to following the laws of God and he did not want to bring Mary to shame. But what we also see is that despite these great characteristics and his affinity for God, Joseph could not accept what Mary said. Joseph did not believe her. And so Joseph was contemplating how to fix this situation. That just means it's a more difficult situation, right? <laughs> Joseph is trying to figure out how to fix this situation, right? Joseph is trying to find a way out. And just when his mind is made up and he's about to slam the brakes on a divine move of God, the Bible tells us that the angel Gabriel shows up with a message that reveals to him that God is brewing a plan of eternal magnitude. That God is in the midst of what seems like a hopeless circumstance. Can I just share with you something, friends? Whether you believe in God or not, we all need hope. We all need hope. We all need a glimmer of something more than where we're at. Listen, life can be good, but... Can we agree that life can be gooder? Can we agree that there is more to life than where we're at? You know, it takes hope for that. And so while Joseph is about to make the biggest mistake of his life, the angel Gabriel widens the scope on the situation and Joseph goes on to believe God above his circumstances. And he grabs hold of something greater. Joseph, at that point, had a hope based upon the promise of God. Amen. Now, let me just say something to you all that 
The scriptures reveal that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1 reveals that. But what it tells us is that by these great and precious promises, we begin to partake of God's divine nature. You want to take a hold of what God has for your life? You want to get a revelation of what your marriage could be? You want to discover the father that you're called to be? You want to discover the leader in the community that you're called to be? You want to discover how to lead a business that not just provides a great service, but impacts people? Hey, by the way, just a, a quick rabbit trail here. If you're a business owner, don't just focus on your business. You should be focusing on people. Amen. That inspires hope. Yes. But if you want that, we need hope. We need to take hold of a promise of God that opens the doorway into the divine. On, that makes a way for something more. Hope in Christ will do that. And so, have you ever found yourself at a crossroads in life at a point where you believed there was no hope, but then you found hope and it led you to triumphant results. Listen, I think we've all been there. I, I think we can all agree with that. But what we might not realize is that God is in the midst of hope. And the hope that you, that you had that brought you through, I submit to you that God was there in the midst with you. Let me share an example of what I mean of this hope that impacts us and empowers us to win. Let's play this video and watch this real quick. It was about a year and a half, two years ago, when we struggled with infidelity within our relationship that brought out trust issues, not only within each other, but within ourselves. And it just brought out some other issues from within that we realized that we had to work on first before we can make this relationship work. When we were pretty much neck and neck, we were arguing every day. Um, we were to the point where we were just screaming at each other, um, kicking each other out of the house. Um, I remember there was a point in time where um, Rob wanted, or was seeking for help. Kind of was one of those situations where I just got tired, and she was. I knew she was tired too of all the arguing especially in front of our kids. It was just a situation we knew that we didn't want to put them in. So even though that we had, we had messed up the relationship, it had nothing to do with the kids. So just one day I woke up and I was just like, I'm gonna seek to leave. And she was like, where are you gonna go? I was like, well, the only way to afford this place and for me to move out is for me to go into like a, a shelter. But once we put our hope in God, everything just turned around for the better. You know, we, uh, we went from getting evicted almost out of one place to moving into another place that was mold infested and having to leave last minute to... Barely affording even groceries yeah. to being able to bless others. Um, we have a beautiful business here in Newburgh that literally got through in our lap. One day we woke up and I looked on the Craigslist forums I saw a place for rent and I was like, you know what, let's just check it out. And I threw them a crazy offer that we never ever expected them to take really. We was kind of like, I'll throw this crazy offer because I know it's not gonna happen. But God was like, hey, I got you, here you go. And they took the offer and what we're sitting in right now is our beautiful shop right here in Newburgh. Once you put hope in God, never look back. Because once you start looking back, that's when old patterns return. Wow, what an amazing story. 
Listen, hope is powerful. Hope can take you from a lost situation, a broken situation, to a life-changing one. And so today, for the next couple of moments that I have, I want to just give you some things to consider about when you're facing hopelessness and how hope empowers you to win. I want to give you some characteristics of a hope that wins. The first thing I want to give you here as we're coming to a close is that you should look for God in the details. Listen to what I'm saying here. Joseph was in a tough spot. Would we agree? Yes. It's a pretty tough spot. He, he was facing a crushing blow filled with heartbreak. He was disappointed. And he was staring at what seemed like a loss of his dream. And in the face of his reality, he conceives a plan that he believes will bring some level of resolution. He decides, I won't expose her. He decides, I'll just send her somewhere far off. We'll just forget this happened. We'll act like we never knew each other. And, and he probably digs in and he says, well, you know what? I'll dive into my carpentry business. Whatever it was, Joseph is at the point where he's resolved, he's moving on. But I want you to consider that when Joseph makes this decision, right before the angel of the Lord intervenes, Joseph is doing it without God. Joseph is doing it without hope. Joseph is giving up. Joseph could have missed the greatest move of God in his life had he not taken the opportunity to grab a hold of what God was doing. Listen closely to what the scriptures say in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. The Apostle Paul here is alluding to the fact that God speaks to all mankind, that he reveals himself to all men. And what he says is this, that everyone has this point where they acknowledge that there's a God. They question that there's God. They seek something about God. But then he goes on to give us the detrimental effects of the person who stops at that point where they consider God and then turns around where they stop considering God in the details of their life. It says that they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. It became void. It became empty. It became without recompense. There's no longer reward to it is what the scripture is saying here. And it says that their foolish hearts were darkened. It's talking about the place of belief where once you believed and you saw great things, now all of a sudden you, everything is dim and grim. Everything is just horrible. You ever been around someone who lives with a sense of hopelessness? It's sad. It's sad. Let's not look down on anyone for that, but it's sad because no matter how bright the day might seem, it's always a dark day in their heart. There's always a sense that something's not going to work out. And what I want you to see is that in the midst of that, what we see here in Romans chapter 1 is that God is present and speaking. It says that for these people who discredit, who, who turn away, who cast off the voice of God, the presence of God, it says that although they claimed to be wise, you know what that's saying? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I got it, I got it. You ever been there? 
Certainly nobody here, right? None of you. I'll tell on me. I've been there, right? But it's that person that says, I'm wise. I have this all together. It says that they became fools. And watch why they became foolish because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. What it's saying there is this, that they exchanged all of God's best for something that they perceived to be their own God. That could be money. That could be the accolades of people. That could be the pursuits uh, that we think make us happy. It can be careers, whatever it is. But what I want you to consider is that God is always present and he's always speaking. And because that is true, hope is always available. When all seems hopeless and you fail to seek God and take a hold of the hope that he gives us in Christ, it leads to detrimental results, to grave results. I'm reminded of a, uh, a statue I once read about. It's, uh, it's a statue in Greece. They still have it there till this day. It's a very old statue. And this statue, uh, uh, the sculptor sculpted it in such a way that it posed a lot of questions for people. And he called the statue opportunity. And many people always question, well, what is, what's, what is it about this statue that says opportunity? And then people began to realize what it was. See, this statue in particular, uh, the way it was sculpted, it, it's, an, it's a man who appears to be in the state of running, in the act of running. And so he's kind of pressing forward, and it almost looks like wind is hitting him. But what's odd about this particular statue is that the, the front of this, of this statue, the man, has hair. And the back of the statue, there is no hair. And basically what he's alluding to is this, is that opportunity always presents itself. It's always coming towards us, but the moment it passes us by, there is nothing to hold on to. You see how I can readily illustrate that to you? <laughs> right? There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to hold on to. See, don't miss the opportunity in the midst of a difficult circumstance to take hold of God's hope, his greater purposes, because you're focused on what seems like a hopeless situation. You know, many years ago, some of you may know this, some of you may not, and I have no problem being transparent. But I remember many years ago when me and Pastor Nett first got married, um, very quickly we, we became pregnant. Right, And so the thing about it is we did not know. We weren't aware. And I remember one morning in particular, actually it was in the middle of the night, early, early morning. It was probably 2, 3 in the morning. Um, I'm a heavy sleeper. If there can be an earthquake and I'll miss it, you know, um, that comes from growing up in Washington Heights and some of the craziest times. I could sleep through anything. But anyway, um, I remember my wife startling me, waking me up. And she was like pushing on me for a while. And I felt like I was just kind of like dreaming. And all of a sudden I come to, and when I come to, what I see is blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. There's blood on the bed, blood on the sheets, blood on her hands. And she's, she's freaking out. And she's in pain. And I wake up and I'm like, I'm freaking out. And uh, so, so I just kind of, the kids were real small, so I, I kind of just jumped up. Got the kids down to our neighbor downstairs, who was the owner of the, of the family home that we lived in, uh, the three-family home that we lived in. And I, I jump in, in, into the car with my wife. I drive all the way to Montefiore Hospital in the Bronx. I leave the car wide open with the keys in it right there in, 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 in outside the emergency room. And I walk in with my wife, and I'm like, she's all bloody. I'm full of blood. And none of this is making sense. And as I'm carrying my wife and as we're driving there, what becomes evident is that she's changing. 
Her color was draining. My wife looked gray. She was weak. And so we walk into this hospital, and I'm carrying her, and the triage nurse who's sitting at the desk sees us, and she immediately stat this, and doctors start coming out, and nurses, and they grab them, and they're like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. And so they're asking me all these questions, and I'm, and I'm, I'm walking back there with her, and they're putting her on a gurney, and they, they're rolling her in, and all these nurses start coming, and then they started attaching this, and checking that, and cutting this. Uh, you know, clothes and all this other stuff. And while all this is going on, I'm saying to myself, this doesn't make sense. This isn't right. This is bad. And I'm hearing all these machines going beep, 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 beep. And, and all of a sudden I hear all this excitement and nurses, and now they're telling me, get out the room. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. You're going to have to kill me to get me out of here. And I'm watching my wife fading. I don't know if you can even identify with that. But at that very moment, I felt hopeless. I felt like everything was crumbling in my life. And in the midst of that, a portion of scripture comes to my mind. It was one that God had used in my life years before with my mom. And it was one that rose up within my spirit and my heart, man. And it, and it just so encouraged me. And it was Philippians 1.6. Being confident in this, that the good work that he started in you, he shall complete. And as I'm watching my wife fade, as I'm watching my wife fade, what I didn't know at that moment was my wife was dying. The doctor told us afterwards, he says, you know, it's a good thing you walked into this hospital when you walked in. Because had it been a couple of minutes after, she would have died. My, my wife lost that much blood. What it was is she had an ectopic pregnancy. But she was bleeding internally for weeks. And she didn't know it. We didn't know it. She had complained of some pain, you know, but it was, she's a tough cookie, that woman. You, you, you have no idea how tough she is. She's like, I eat those. <laughs> Let me stop. But um, listen, at that moment, to reflect upon the word of God and, and, and consider what it was saying to me personally, what God was saying to me personally, is there's hope in the midst of this hopeless situation. But here's the thing. I could have missed that opportunity. I could have missed that opportunity. I could have done what I've done before in previous times. I could have went with my emotions. I could have trusted my feelings. I could have trusted my hurt. I could have trusted my doubt. You know what's one thing about hopelessness? Is that when, it, it, when we allow that to settle into our hearts... Here's the very first thing we begin to question, God. We begin to question God's presence. We begin to question if God still loves us. We begin to question why is this happening as if it's God doing it to us. I can assure you this, God had nothing to do with what happened to my wife. That's not his plan. He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. The Bible says you shall live and, and, you shall live and not die. You shall live to declare the works of God. So I know that wasn't God's will for my wife. 
My point with all that simply is this. There's an opportunity every time you face the most difficult of circumstances. There's hope, but you got to seize that hope. you got to hold on to it. you got to cling to that. You've got to live life through that hope because hope is the one thing that will bring you out of a hopeless circumstance. Amen? The second thing I want to share with you is that God makes up the distance between what you can't and what he can do. God makes up the distance between what you can't do and what he can do. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When hopelessness is prevalent in our hearts and in our minds, like it was for Joseph, we have to take a moment to consider what's actually happening. What's actually happening? Hopelessness says it's too hard. Hopelessness says I can't make it. Hopelessness says there's no way to recover. Hopelessness says I've been down this road before. I failed before, so why even try? Hopelessness says just give up. But I think of it this way. I think of it like a race. Everyone begins at the same starting line. And once the bell rings, once the gun goes off, everyone has the same opportunity because everyone is running on the same track. So as the race progresses, distance becomes apparent between each competitor. And at that point, it's up to each runner to respond to the distance they see between them, the runner ahead, and the finish line. Listen to what I'm saying here. When you're in an impossible situation, Oftentimes what we focus on is how hard it is to get out of this. That's the distance. That's the gap. That's the chasm that we see that we perceive to be uh, uh, insurpassable. But in the midst of that, there is a God who is at work. While you can't, God always can. When you want to give up, You have to know that God does not give up. When you fail and cease to believe and you begin to falter, the Bible says this, that when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. That's a good God. That's that's a God to put your hope in. And so the Bible records an encounter between Jesus and a man whose son kept undergoing great torment resulting in seizures at the hand of a demon. And this man, initially, the scriptures tell us in Mark 9, comes to uh, the disciples. He comes to the disciples because they had a track record of having done some really cool stuff. See, prior to this point, Jesus had told them, listen, you will do greater things than these that I'm doing. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You shall cast out demons. You shall pick up scorpions and serpents and they shall not harm you. And so these guys had done some real cool stuff in the name of Jesus. And at this point, what we find is that the scriptures tell us in Mark 9 that this man comes to the disciples with this dilemma. And he says, guys, could you do something? I don't want to see my son in this situation any longer. I don't want to see my son in this torment. I want to see him free of it. But the scriptures record that they couldn't. They couldn't do it. And so as Jesus is approaching with James, John, and Peter, and he's approaching this crowd, he sees that there's a commotion. There's arguing going on. And the scriptures say that Jesus asked the question, what are you arguing about? What's the commotion about? What's going on here? 
And so the man, seeing that it's Jesus, leaves the commotion and goes to Jesus. And he comes to him and he makes the same request that he made to the disciples. Deliver my son. And the Bible says that at that very moment, the demon, recognizing Jesus, takes this son of this man and violently thrashes him on the floor. And the Bible says that Jesus asked his father a question. Let's read what happened here in Mark 9, starting at verse 21. It says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Can you imagine seeing your child go through something like that from the young age? Can you imagine the frustration that you would feel? How you would, how you, you, you might even be mad at God at that point. Knowing that that's not God's will. And this man comes to Jesus in the midst of his frustration and he says, man, we've been doing this since he was a kid. Listen to his heart. He says, it has often thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Listen to Jesus' response. If you can, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. It's hopeless. It's over. But Jesus... Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Consider this. This man is striving to get himself and his son to the finish line. He's trying to get there, but the distance is apparent. You don't understand my situation. I've been dealing with this since he was a kid. We've been going through this. You have, you know, you have, you have no idea how many times he found himself at the cusp of death. He's about to be drugged. He's about to be burned. And he says to Jesus, if you can, help us. Take pity on us. What I love about this is that Jesus says to him, if you can. In other words, you're asking the wrong question. You're questioning the wrong one. And he says, Everything is possible for one who believes. Now, I come from a background where, look, I made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I also grew up in church. I was that Christian incognito guy, you know? Raised my hands on Sunday, right? Even grabbed the tambourine, right? And did all that. Yeah, I come from that, the Marines, right? But I also remember that even in those moments while I professed to believe in Jesus, and I, I did believe in Jesus, I did believe I loved him. But I always felt like he was the hammer and I was the nail. And as a result, because of a lot of erroneous teaching and a lot of abuses that I saw and a lot of experiences along the way, when I would come across scriptures like these, I'd struggle. 
maybe some of you struggle, I want you to consider what Jesus says here in verse 23. Everything is possible for one who believes. Everything. You know what's interesting about that word in the original writing? You, know, you want to hear what everything means there? Everything. All things. And I can recall a time where I would read something like that and I would say, it can't be everything. It can't be everything. See, there's a distance that we have to overcome. There's a tension that we struggle with and we, we have to learn to manage in partnership with God. This man comes to Jesus with a hopeless situation and he says, if you can, please take pity on us. He's begging. And Jesus says to him, you're perceiving this all wrong. Everything is possible if you'll just believe me. We live in a day and age where we, many people, over a billion people profess to believe in Jesus. But the problem is that there are many of us that we believe in Jesus, but we also believe other things. We also believe our circumstances. You know what that's called? Anxiety. You know what that's called? Depression. You know what that's called? Struggle. You know what that's called? Fear. We all undergo that. We all face that. But at that point of hopelessness and where we find that we're in the midst of a situation that seems helpless, we have a choice to make. Like this man, he turns to Jesus. What I love about it is this, that there was a problem there was something going on in his heart. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you can, but there's unbelief in my heart. Help me. At that point, I love how Jesus approaches this. He doesn't go, <clears throat> let me give you what the scriptures say. He doesn't come at him pompously. He, he doesn't approach him from a point of such high authority that he dismisses him as someone who's unworthy of receiving what God has. No. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't even respond. You know what he does? He heals the boy. Listen closely. You might be at a distance in some areas, but God is the one who makes up the difference for you and I. The scriptures reveal to us that Jesus did not count it a loss to leave his throne in heaven. But if anything, the Bible says that he looked forward with great anticipation, with joy even. Why? Because he saw you, he saw me. While people may see you at your worst, while you may believe the worst about yourself, God always and only sees the best. You're not done, you're not out. There's still hope. There's still tomorrow. But it begins right now at this point today. Your hope is here. It's present. It's alive. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no better than anyone here. I'm no better than anyone here. Please don't let the title fool you. Please don't let the pulpit fool you. But I can share this with you credibly from my own life. Hope works. Hope won't fail you. Hope in God will not fail you. Put your hope in God. 
See, when you can't, God can. And as we close here today, I want to leave you with one last parting thought. And it's this, that hope in God always prevails. Always, always prevails. A careful study of the scriptures reveals that Joseph and Mary had something powerful in the midst of this hope that they'd received upon the birth of Jesus. The scriptures record that when Jesus was born, that these wise men came from far east and, and they came there with gifts and they laid them at Jesus' feet and they shared how all these heavenly hosts appeared to them and told them about the birth of the Christ. Another portion of scripture reveals that uh, at, at the eighth day after his birth that uh, Joseph and Mary go to the temple and they go to present Jesus uh, according to the law, the offering that was uh, required for the firstborn. And that this woman, Anna, and another gentleman uh, show themselves there and, and they, they begin to talk about how they've been waiting for the Christ and they attest to the fact that this is the Christ and they rejoice. And the scriptures even reveal that when Jesus was 12 years old, when they go back and they, they go to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, that Jesus stays behind and they leave and they have to come back and they find him and he's in the temple. And the Bible says that uh, Mary asked Jesus, why would you do this to us? And he says, did you not know that I have to be in my father's house? I'll tell you why I share all those portions of scripture with you. Because the scriptures record in all those instances that as all this was going on, Luke 2.51 puts it this way. It says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Listen to what they were doing. In the midst of their journey of life, they continued to hold on to the hope and the promise of his life. And nothing, nothing, nothing could rob them or convince them that this wasn't the Christ that there wasn't promise, that God was doing something amongst them. Ladies and gentlemen, hope in God will always prevail, but you and I have to triumph and prevail every day at taking a hold of that hope and holding on to it and persevering with it and not giving up. The scripture says this, that you and I are to stand firm in the faith. And when it says to stand firm, it's, it's saying don't give up. Hold on. Don't let go because God is faithful. We're talking about a God who when he says what he says, he promises that his words will not return empty. It's very possible here as we stand and close today that there's some of you that have been in some difficult circumstances. Please, let's stand as we close. Maybe you've been through a hopeless situation. Maybe you're facing life with a lack of hope. Maybe you're not, but those moments will come. And I want you to consider the simplicity of this message, that you can win with hope in God, that you can overcome with hope in God. I stand here before you today no better than anyone. But I believe that God's not done with me yet. I believe that God's not done with you yet. We have hope. Now today as we close here, maybe there's someone here joining us in this building or maybe you're with us online and 
You've been questioning hope. You've been facing life without hope. And what you're realizing is that God is a God of hope. That hope isn't some pie in the sky, but that hope is personal. It's real. It's relevant. It's present. And today you find yourself believing and saying, I need that hope. Hope in Christ. Hope, not just for tomorrow, but hope that is here and present and working in my life. If that's you, then here's the juncture that you've reached. Here's the crossroads that you're at. Joseph, when he faced his crossroads, had to believe and make a decision. I'm going to trust God's plan better. God's plan can be summed up with these two scriptures. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world. Hey, that's you. That's me. That's everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But you can't forget verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. No judgments. But to save it. But to save it. And today there's hope. Hope in Christ. If you believe that, if you believe that God loves you so much, that he's raining upon you hope, that he's inspiring a future in you that can even begin to work in your life right now in partnership with him, that where you face the impossible, now you have possible. You see hope. You see a future. You see good things. Pray this with us if you believe that today. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. Today I declare that you're my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my everlasting hope. And from this day forward, I'm trusting you, I'm following after you, and I'm believing for my best days ahead of me. Come on now, if you prayed that for the very first time, we're celebrating what God has done. Don't leave here without sharing with us what God is doing in your life. Now, Father, we celebrate Jesus. We thank you for the hope that's ours in Christ. And we look forward to all that's ahead in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. If this message spoke to you, don't forget to let us know by tagging us on your social media stories at CTBNY or sharing with a friend. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in.